Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning. Uh, Well, I've been around long enough to remember the very first Star Wars film, which came out in 1977. Of course, there was a lot of hype around it at the time. Um, This is a new kind of film, lots of incredible special effects. And I do remember one of the ex-students at Kingston Polytechnic uh, coming in to talk about the work he'd done on uh, the special effects as well. So as art students, we were all very interested to see this film and we went down to the cinema to, to see it, to enjoy it. Um, it was a great storyline. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't obvious that this was going to be one of nine episodes. And confusingly, this first film was episode four. And of course they went on a few years later to make The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of the Jedi. The fourth, the fifth and the sixth episodes done first and then I think they went back to the first, second and third and eventually did seven, eight and nine. Well the Old Testament story we're looking at today is a bit like the order of the Star Wars movies. We're going to read a story from Joshua chapter 10 but then we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 7 and eventually we're going to go forwards to the New Testament. Um, So they're all linked together these stories. In in effect they're the same story. Um, So that's where we're going today. So we're looking at Joshua 10 first of all. Uh, which has some similarities to a Star Wars film in as much as uh, there are powerful enemies, there are big battles, there's heroism and supernatural phenomena. Old Testament stories are like picture books illustrating the Gospel. Uh, Joshua foreshadows Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew was Yeshua, which translates to English as Joshua. So both names have the same meaning, God is my salvation or God is salvation. The human narrative in the Old Testament foreshadows and illustrates spiritual truths found in the New Testament. So we're going to look at the story in Joshua chapter 10 and verses 1 to 15. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this, because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhiah, king of Lashish, and Debiah, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants, come up to us quickly and save us. 
Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horam and cut them down all the way to Asakar and Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horam to Asakar, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Well, there's a lot in that story, so let me just summarise what's happened. The king of Jerusalem was getting very nervous about Israel and he persuades four other kings to join him in ganging up on Gibeon, who'd made an alliance with Israel. And then Gibeon appealed to Joshua for help, and Joshua marched his troops through the night to come to the rescue. God helps Joshua to defeat the five kings by miraculously extending the day and giving them an extra 24 hours of light to help them destroy the enemy. So first of all, let's address this idea of the sun standing still. How on earth did that happen? Well, some people want to suggest it was a, a local miracle that God allowed daylight to continue in that local area. Others argue that we're not ready to take it literally, it's just poetic language. And some have wondered whether it was a kind of eclipse, which meant that the day appeared to be longer and the sun didn't set. Um, if this was the case, then it was still miraculous that God managed to time it for that exact moment. But the simplest explanation is that it was a straightforward miracle. Uh, apparently, there are ancient reports from China and India and Egypt in which a very long day is mentioned. And in the legends of the Indians in South America, there are stories of a very long night. So also we need to realise that Israel's enemies worshipped the sun and the moon. And in some ways, God stopping the sun and the moon in its tracks confirmed that he's far more powerful than the gods that they were worshipping. Indeed, it showed him to be the one true God. 
Another difficult issue that's raised by this story is that God is fighting on behalf of Joshua. First of all, by throwing the enemy into confusion, throwing giant hailstones down on them as they fled, and finally preventing the sun from setting so that Joshua could finish them all off. Some years ago, Cathy and I were fortunate enough to visit Rome and we went to the Sistine Chapel and in the Vatican there, there's, there's this wonderful uh, ceiling uh, of Michelangelo's paintings. And here is one of the images that you can see on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. This is the kind of impression we get here in Joshua 10 of a furious God joining in with gusto and triumphantly smashing up the helpless Amorite armies with giant hailstones. It's not a picture that entirely uh, helps us to feel comfortable, is it? Um, this idea that God is fighting on behalf of Israel. But clearly this is a season of judgment for the Canaanites. And I think we have to understand that the Canaanite culture was inherently wicked. Uh, they were a brutal, aggressive people who engaged in deviant sexual acts and in child sacrifice. Their sin was sickening to God, but the destruction was directed more at the Canaanite religion rather than the Canaanite people as such. What is taking place here is a fulfilment of what God had already said to Abraham in Genesis 15:16, as part of his covenant promise. He says there, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God had planned to give the Canaanite people over to Joshua 400 years before, uh, unless they repented of their evil ways. Uh, the people in Canaan were aware of God's power. They knew that the people of Israel had crossed the Jordan. They knew all about Jericho and Ai. And actually, they could have repented. But instead, they continued to rebel against God. So that's the story in Joshua chapter 10. Now I want to look back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 in order to give us a fuller understanding of what's happening. And this is taking place in the time of Moses, Joshua's predecessor. So this is what we read in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 to 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do with them, to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. And here's the reason in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you 
out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You see, this all goes back to the covenant with Abraham. God was seeking to establish a holy people, a people set apart for himself, and through those people to bless all people throughout the earth. Remember God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is looking to establish a holy people, starting with Abraham, and that couldn't happen unless these Canaanite gods and their idol worship was removed from the land. And essentially that's why the judgment of God fell on the Canaanites in such a complete manner. So we've looked at Joshua 10, we've looked back at Deuteronomy 7 and even further back to Abraham. And now I want to look forwards to fill out the story a little bit more. We need to jump forward, if you like, to the last episode, to the cross, because the story in Joshua 10 foreshadows the work of Jesus on the cross. Now, you'll remember that on the day that Jesus died, that was another time when something unusual happened to the sun. It didn't shine for three hours in the middle of the day. Now, if you're from the UK, you think well, there's nothing odd about the sun not shining for three hours in the middle of the day um, at any time of the year. But this is Israel, and between noon and three o'clock in the afternoon, the sun would normally be very, very strong. And Jesus was on the cross. The whole sky goes dark, very dark. In fact, in Matthew 27, 45, it says from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. So this wasn't just a cloud coming across and a bit of a shadow. Uh, the whole land went dark for three hours. Now, what was going on during this period of darkness? Well, it was the destruction of sin. It was the destruction of death, Jesus overcoming sin and death. It was the, the, Jesus overcoming Satan and his spiritual forces. The sun remained bright so that Joshua could defeat God's enemies. And in a similar way, the sun disappeared as Jesus wins a decisive victory over Satan. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 sums it up in this way. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. The defeat of God's spiritual enemies made way for him to form a holy people set apart for himself. Now, if you don't know the Lord, that is, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, now is the time to bow the knee. Commit yourself to following him. You know, he died on the cross, yes, so that you could be forgiven, yes, so that you could have a personal relationship with God, but also so you could be incorporated and brought in to this holy people that God 
is setting apart for himself, a people that will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. I would urge you to turn your thoughts towards Jesus and to bow the knee to him and to commit your life to follow him. God is calling for a holy people. We're not to be like the rest of society. We're to live by different values. We're not to follow the world in ungodly lifestyle choices. We're not to follow the world in patterns of behaviour. We are set apart. We are called out. We're a, a holy people from, for God. And Jesus has paid the full price so that we can live under God's reign. As it says in Deuteronomy 7, don't make a treaty with those who are rejecting God and rebelling against him. Have nothing to do with false gods or idols. God is gathering a people to himself, a holy people, a people set apart, a people who will bless many. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for these extraordinary stories in the book of Joshua, which in themselves teach us so much about faith and courage. Uh, Lord, we thank you too that they point towards a greater reality and a spiritual reality which has been realised and fulfilled in Jesus at the cross. So Lord, thank you that as we see these stories, as we read these stories, we, we, we get a, a, a picture of the, the sort of big plan that you have all the way from Abraham through to the present day really. And we thank you Lord that you're catch, catching people up in this whole project of building a, a holy people, a people set aside for you. And so Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to value what you've done for us on the cross, to value the fact that you are bringing us into this, this people set apart. Lord, we pray that our lives would reflect uh, what you've done for us, would reflect this desire to have a holy people, a set apart people, and that we would indeed be a blessing to so many more people around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.